Turn, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 3. We want to read some of these words together, as it is, of course, a familiar portion. That portion that details how a seeking soul, a man by the name of Nicodemus, came under the cover of darkness to seek the Savior. John chapter 3, if you've got a copy of God's Word, I would ask you to open it at that portion. It is good to read along together, even in Scripture in a meeting such as this. John's Gospel, chapter 3. In fact, I love those opening words. Again, to go to the, against the Bible detractor, those that would question and jettison the Word of God. Look at the first two words, there was. This is an account of something, even though it was only those two men, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, and this man, this ruler, in fact, we're quite told quite a lot about him in the opening verses, if we really delve into them and see what the Holy Spirit has for us here. But this is an accurate account of what actually happened on that occasion. Let us consider that account. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man, and in that he was right, no mere man, we could say that. He was fully God and fully man. The big word for that, the theologians use is the theanthropic God-man. He was fully God and fully man. But this man acknowledged that there was something different about this man. You see what it tells us at the heart of that second verse? For no man can do these miracles that thou dost, except God be with him. But look at the Lord's reply in verse 3. Especially in verse 3, 5 and 7. But look at verse 3 as we've come to it. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's once. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Verse 4. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, and it's only in John's gospel. Here's a little fact for you. It's only in John's gospel that we read the verily doubled like that. Verily, verily. And where we have something like that, another example of that is behold, verily, or verily, verily, or behold, it's something of particular note that is to follow. Look at verse 5 again with that in mind. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, as he did in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter, the, enter into the kingdom of God. That's twice. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That's three times. The same truth expressed, not once, not twice, but three times. And let me say this. If the Lord says something once, it's worthy of our consideration. We can hang our eternity upon that once. But here the Lord says this thing to this individual three times. 
But he continues, verse 8, and let's read from verse 7 through to verse 8. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, again the doubling. I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but, and this is the exception, this is the hinge, if you like, in the heart of that verse that we spoke of this morning, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. See in that verse, there's that clue that the Lord would yet ascend in future days. Read it again with that in mind. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he, the exception, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, we worship a Savior today, dear friends, who is seated at the right hand of God. He has ascended again, as verse 13 alludes to, and other verses form black and white on. And then verse 14, we have here a verse that refers to something that we are very familiar with. We have the whole of the canon of Scripture, the old and the new, Genesis right through to the Revelation. But this man, the Jew, the Pharisee, in fact, this man Nicodemus, his knowledge of the Old Testament Torah would put us to shame. Verse 14, it refers back to something that happened in the wanderings in the desert. Numbers 21, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but, again that turning point, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. We'll end the reading there. I would love to read on. Yet for the sake of time, we'll end the reading there, please, at that 18th verse. Let us still our hearts, please, for a moment. Let us ask for the Lord's blessing. Let us ask, think of it this way, the author of the book, to come alongside and to illuminate the secret page, to let it shine deep to every crevice in our hearts. Let us pray. Father, we do thank thee this evening, or that we're found in under the sound of thy word. And Lord, I come to thee now pleading for thy blessing and for thy help, because Lord, I need it. We need it. I need it in the pulpit to preach. Every hearer needs it. We think especially of those online. We think of churches. Churches are designed in a way that they'll take all focus to the center to where the preaching has taken place. 
designed in such a way with smoked glass and all the rest of it that we can't see outside to distract us. But the living room and the kitchen and wherever this message has been beamed tonight is not designed in such a way. And therefore, Lord, I pray, particularly for those who are tuning in online, to be able to set aside everything that would distract. And Lord, that we might see a fresh glimpse of the Savior tonight. To that end, I pray that thou would hide me behind the cross, that, I, that my Savior may be the only one who's seen and heard. So, Lord, bless us now, help us now, keep us now. It is for thy glory alone we pray thee. Amen. You know, I particularly love this portion of Scripture. I love it for many different reasons. In fact, every time I come to it over this past number of years now, the past, I suppose, three years or so, it always brings a smile to my face because I can associate it with something that happened to us not that while long ago. In fact, it takes us back in our memories to one of those open airs at the city centre at lunchtime on a Friday back about three years ago. John Finucane. Maybe you've heard of John Finucane. At that time, he was the Lord Mayor of Belfast. He was holding a protest that day just off to the side of where we were going to have the open air. And then whenever we landed up, we weren't sure what to do. There was just two of us at that stage. The man that was there with the sound equipment says, what will we do, brother? I says, why, what's the problem? And he referred my attention over to the side. This protest of about 30 to 50 was just about to start. That the loudspeaker's up, there was a man at the microphone just about to start. And I says, well, just go for it and we'll have our gospel meeting. So I didn't know what to preach on, didn't know what to say, but what I did do was I held up my little black Bible. And I said to the folk that day, and they were able to hear us right down Royal Avenue, according to reports, but I held up my little black Bible that day. This is not it, this is a hymn book. But I held up my wee small black Bible that I would use for such an occasion. And I said, I have evidence in my hand of political and religious collusion at highest level. Secret talks, in fact. Well, I think I had their attention. In fact, I know I had their attention. I could feel eyes burn into the back of my head. I didn't want to turn my head. The microphone was on a stand. I didn't want to turn my head even an inch to the left, especially that's where they were, or to the right at all for that matter. But I just preached away and talked about this evidence that I have in my hand about talks at highest level between political and religious leaders. Oh, I knew I had them on the hook. And then I went on to say, I want to tell you today about that evidence that I have. And I preached to them, John chapter 3, and about how this individual, this man, this religious leader by the name of Nicodemus came under the cover of darkness secretly to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ, to ask him questions, to inquire of him. That actually had such an impact on those individuals. There was about 50 of them. But they actually waited until we finished before they started to do anything. And indeed, after we finished that open air, and this is three years ago, some of them came across to shake our hands and congratulate us for what we'd just done. Now, that's not what we expected. That's one of the reasons. You can understand, I'm sure now, the shivers are going up my spine when I think about that occasion that Friday afternoon. That's one, just one of the reasons that I particularly like this portion of Scripture. I'll tell you another. 
Another reason that I particularly like this portion of scripture is that my home church, you have Jonah chapter 2 on the wall behind me. My home church is only up the road, Valna Hinch, and from its opening way back in 1978, I always say it was open to coincide with my birth, back in 1978, that text has emblazoned the wall there in Balna Hinch. And I, it was me as a young boy of seven years of age looking and gazing upon that every single Lord's Day. Among other things, of course, as well, that the Lord brought me to simply trusting in him fully and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart and into my life. I wonder what about you today in this meeting, even before we get to the content of what's recorded for us here in John chapter 3, even before we delve into the heart and the mind of this man who came to see the Lord Jesus Christ, of the responses that the Lord gave to that individual, even before we get that far, I wonder, what about you? Have you ever been brought to that point? Perhaps tonight find you searching. In fact, that's our first point this evening. It is simply this, the searching of the sinner. Look what it tells us in the opening verses. Yes, we're told a lot about this man. The context is given. We're, we're, we're told about him and who he was. There was a man of the Pharisees named, got his name here, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2 really goes into it. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, he had questions, under the cover of darkness, Risking a lot, no doubt. If he was seen approaching where the Savior was, if he was seen conversing with him in any deeper, meaningful way, just think of the repercussions. I'm sure he thought of the repercussions. That is why, no doubt, he came under the cover of darkness. By night, the Spirit of God gives us that information. It's supplied here, preserved here for us for a reason. Remember what it tells us in Proverbs 30, verse 5, that every word of God is pure. Every word's here for a reason. Why did this man, let me ask you this, why did this man come seeking the Savior? You see, I believe this man was searching for something, searching for answers. He knew, and in fact, he recognized, he admitted the fact in the second verse, that the Lord, that Jesus, that Christ was sent from God himself. We highlighted that during the reading. I don't need to go over that again. In fact, let me go further. I believe that this man was seeking, he was searching for something that mere religion, that his religion, that all the things that he was involved with and involved in could not satisfy. And he knew it. This man would have had a greater knowledge of the Old Testament than we could ever have. Well, not that we could ever have, but then what, that we do have. The rabbis then, the Pharisees then, would have had a deeper, in-depth knowledge. It would put us to shame today. And he acknowledged, he fully acknowledged that Christ, that God, that Jesus was sent from God himself. And he knew that within him, he would find the answers that he so badly craved for. Let me ask you today, what about you in the meeting? Are you searching for something? Something that mere church attendance cannot give you? Let me tell you this. Church attendance will never save a soul. 
Maybe you've joined this organization or joined that organization. Maybe you're a member of a church. It doesn't matter, let me tell you this, where you hang your hat on the Lord's day. And I say this reverently, your name might as well be in a sausage roll as a church roll. Those things, while the Lord uses the means of grace to bring us with an earshot of God's word being preached, those things in themselves will never and can never save you. Perhaps you've spent a lifetime trying and failing, trying and failing to fill the void that is within you, that void that you know is never satisfied and never filled. However, let me tell you this, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only answer to your need. You see, this man was a sinner, even though he was well qualified, well versed in the law, no doubt. Even though he was well placed in society, even though he had that badge that we see there in the heart of that first verse, that he was a Pharisee, that he was further than that, a ruler of the Jews, a known, a well-known individual, someone who had to come under the cover of darkness. He was so well known by those around the city. He was a sinner. You see, God's word makes it very, very clear that each and every one of us in our natural condition, on our own, by our own merits, with our own strength, with our own ways, our own attempts to get to God, we all feel, we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, of that fact that all have sinned, not some, not most, not even the vast majority, but rather Paul puts it in such clear language as he writes to the church at Rome, that all, A-double-L, such a small word, so full and rich of meaning, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe this man, Nicodemus, realized that. And even though he was religious to the nth degree, no doubt, even though he did this and did that and refrained from this and refrained from that, did not do. There's two types of sin. There's doing what we shouldn't do and not doing what we should do. I'm sure this man was circumspect and careful in all those things as a Pharisee, as a well-known ruler of the Jews. There was still something in his heart that was not satisfied and could not be satisfied in any other way. But what about you today? I love the way the Lord Jesus Christ always finds a way to speak to the individual. Very often we have the crowd. This is not one of those occasions. But very often we have the Lord Jesus Christ addressing a crowd or a crowd following after him. We read in many portions. There's many coming to my mind now, yet for the sake of time I'll not go into them. But there's many occasions where the crowd pressed upon him. In fact, we read of that, I think it's Luke chapter 19 in Jericho, where the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ on that occasion was going after one man. What about you in the meeting this evening? On that occasion, it was Zacchaeus. What about you? The Lord knew Zacchaeus by name and called him by name. Maybe he's been speaking to you of late, dear sinner. And don't you think that I'm pointing the finger at you saying, oh, that boy's calling us sinners. Let me tell you this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are different categories of sinner in this meeting tonight. We're all sinners. The only difference between me, who is saved, and you maybe, perhaps tonight, who's not yet saved, is the fact that I'm a sinner 
saved by his grace. But maybe tonight you're a stranger to grace and a stranger to God. Well, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say to this man, this seeking man, this searching man? I want you to notice just how, and in fact, I stopped at each of those occasions. I numbered them for you. I said, that's once, verse 3. That's twice, verse 5. That's three times in verse 7, where the Lord Jesus Christ cut through everything else that might have been said, all the flowery language that we love sometimes to engage in, and he went right straight to the very heart of the matter. In fact, I have this point simply called the straight-talking sincerity of the Savior. You see, with man, you'll get a load of words. We all know people like that. The sort of person that if you ask them the time, they'll tell you how to make a watch. They'll just go into detail after detail after detail. And you're thinking, oh, boys, it was that time. It's not that time now. We all know that time. Oh, I suppose ministers are as bad, if not worse, than anybody else. What you can say in five minutes, we take... 45 minutes to say, not so with the Savior. Look at verse 3, look at verse 5, look at verse 7. The Lord Jesus Christ knew his heart, you see. Read this man, this individual's heart. There was nobody else there. It wasn't intended just to tickle the ears of anybody else, any hearer that might have been there, but rather he knew what this man needed to hear, and he said it. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, what do I have before that, in fact? All this flurry language, he was building him up, Rabbi, we know that thou art a master, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do all this flurry language, almost building the Savior up. You see the way the Lord Jesus Christ just cut through it all? And he went straight in with what needed to be said, prefaced by those words, verily, verily. In other words, listen here. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the first time. That's verse 3. Look at verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the second time. Then in verse 7, we have it yet again, the same message, drilled right through to make that same hard-hitting, simple point. Ye must be born again. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was so sincere and loved this man and his soul so much. Isn't that what we read, in fact, when we turn the page in my Bible, the Thompson Chain, 6th edition? It's a page turn, maybe it's not for you, but in verse 16, the, for God so loved the world. This speaks of the love of God and indeed the love of Christ too because he willingly came. He so loved this man, he so loved his soul that he didn't want to beat about the bush, if you like, and do what we would be want to do, but he wanted to cut right through and tell that man exactly what he needed to hear on that occasion. And you know what, dear friends, this evening in the meeting online, I'm here tonight not to tickle ears, and you'll know that already. I'm here tonight because I love you in the gospel. I'm here to tell you not perhaps what you want to hear, but I'm here tonight to tell you what you need to hear. And that is simply the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a message that was not dreamt up by Dr. Ian Paisley back in 1951 at the start of this denomination. This is a message that was not dreamt up by Martin Luther back in 1517 as he was nailing his 95 Theses to the chapel door at Wittenberg on the 31st of October that year. No, this is a message that Christ used to this seeking sinner, this needy man. 
He told him exactly what he needed to hear. He told him nothing else. Didn't tell him anything to blow him up or to, to set everything else to the side or to, to set that secret sin down or to do this or to do that. Rather, he went straight in with this message that you must be born again. And that's all I can do with you this evening. That's all this church can do for you this evening is to tell you not what you maybe want to hear, but to tell you what you need to hear. I can't do anything else other than that. I simply cannot do an injustice tonight to your soul. What about you this evening? Would you not come in, into the fold, where he stands with open arms, willing and waiting to welcome you? Or will you leave those double doors, go out through another two set of double doors, all the while saying, I want nothing to do with this man? Look what it tells us in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's black and white. This is from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is not merely some theologian's twist on it or some interpretation on it. Interpret that any other way. You'll not be able to. Oh, let me plead with you this evening, or would you not come to the Lord Jesus Christ? And I don't mean at some future date, because in saying not yet to God's invitation, what you're actually saying is no for now. What if this was your last opportunity? Oh, yes, we make assumptions, don't we? Oh, today and tomorrow we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I'm planning to get my alarm set at four o'clock to get up and to get the bus ready and to head down the road and to lift 14 young people to take them over to the boat. We've all these plans. I'll tell you, there's people today, and I mean this, there's people today so careful, and you're right if you're this careful. I suppose I'm like this too. We're all like this. We should be like this. I wouldn't take my car onto the road if it wasn't taxed and insured in case something happened. Now maybe there's an exception over here. Wouldn't take the car onto the road in case something happened, something stepped out, it blew a tire or something and you weren't legally 100% watertight. And yet we play fast and loose with our soul, our eternal soul's welfare. Does that describe you tonight? You're so careful about checking this and checking that and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You wouldn't do anything that was any way dodgy whatsoever and yet you say no not yet I want to come in my deathbed. I want to enjoy my life first. I want to live life to the full. Well let me tell you this dear friends. Those watching in or those online to live life to the full is to live with Christ in our hearts. What about you this evening? Would you not come? I want us to break down this little chapter here. Those three verses, in fact, that I highlighted there, verse 3, 5, and 7. I want us to look at, at verse 7 because there's something slightly different about verse 7. Maybe you'll see what it is. Verse 3, we have the verily, verily. Verse 5, we have the verily, verily. Verse 7, it's slightly different. I suppose this is a continuation. Verse 5, 6, 7, 8 is all the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. But there's something slightly different there when we come to verse 7. Look at the first two words. There's your clue. Oh, the number of times that I read this and didn't notice it. But here we have in these first two words, the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with something that he saw crop up with this man as he was, de as, as he was dealing with him. Marvel not. 
I have this point simply entitled, The Surprise That Is Denounced by the Savior. He was dealing with what he saw. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ not only did what we do, uh, read his emotion and read his face, he went beyond that and he read his heart. Do you realize this evening that the Lord reads your heart? We can come in all dressed up and we can smile and we can go through the motions and we can sing and we can stand at the right time when it's to do and we can even give into the plates when they come round and we can do everything that the child of God does, that the Christian does, that those surrounding us can do. But the Lord looks past the outward facade. In fact, he looks right into the heart. And he did that with this man. He didn't need to just read his face. He did that with this man. And he actually dealt with what he saw in his heart. And that was this shock at what the Savior was saying. That was this surprise at what the Lord was teaching him. And that is why I believe, now I can't be dogmatic where Scripture isn't. But look at the words, the way they're framed in verse 5, or verse 7 rather. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You see, there are many today, as there was, I'm sure, in Christ's day, this man been case in point. There are many today, and I've actually heard this view expressed, that do not like this doctrine of being born again. We live in a day, we live in a generation when everybody seems to be Christian, loosely. Christian, a Christian country, or Christian population, or surveys about Christian this and Christian that. But it's a different story when we start to apply this label that the Lord Jesus Christ used, and that is the label of being born again. Maybe you would put yourself in that category. Oh, yes, I, I go to a Christian church, and I live in a Christian country, and I send my children to a Christian. Well, loosely, there's a tax in that, of course. Even right now, we're, I'm, I'm part of the Caleb Foundation, and that's one of the things that we're trying to defend against is the way that they're trying to change the way RE is taught in, in schools. But Christian ethos here, and Christian this and Christian that, but the term born again, everybody knows, it cuts right through and they know what that means. Are you born again today? Are you born from above today? Are you born of God today? Or are you simply Christian by association? You see, there are many who get, they read their Bibles, they listen to messages, they go along to church, they get irate though whenever it comes to preaching such as this where Men from the pulpit simply repeat what Christ has been saying all, all those years ago that ye, that you personally, individually, in the pew this evening must be, if you're to be saved, you must be born again. Isn't, I believe that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said what he did in denouncing this man's apparent shock and surprise at what he was been taught. Let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is the gift of God that is salvation. That gift that has been bought at the highest cost. Yet for us, it's free to the receiver. What is stopping you from coming tonight? I ask you that reverently. I ask you that seriously. I ask you that sincerely. I ask you that because I love you in the gospel. What is stopping you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and simply accepting that gift of God? It cost him his all, his darling son, the greatest gift that was ever given. 
yet 100% free for the receiver. Let me ask you this evening, would you not come? Would you not come and accept that finished work? We don't need to add to the gospel. There's one verse that I love, many verses. There's one verse that stood out for me. In fact, I printed it out as big as my printer would print it. And if it stuck right in front of my study desk, it's not even a full verse. It's a part of a verse. It's John chapter 19, verse 30. In fact, it's not even a part of a verse. It's one word in the Greek, three words in the English. It is finished. T telestii. That's what I present to you this evening. That's what the work of this church is, to present to you that free work of the gospel because the price has already been paid for in full. Would you not come? There's something else that I want you to see here, and I particularly love the authorized version of the scriptures. It's the only version I use, obviously in public, but it's the only version I use anywhere, full stop. Because we have something here in the authorized version. What we're going to look at here is the singular. The use of the singular and the plural. The singular that is highlighted by the Lord Jesus Christ here in his response and in his language to this man. Because in the authorized version, we have a language like no other. We have that singular plural distinction preserved for us in our mother tongue. You don't get that with other versions. Now look what it says there in our text, verse 7. The latter part of it. Marvel not that I said unto thee, that's a singular use, ye must be born again. Again, to go back to what I said earlier on, isn't it wonderful how the Lord, now this particular occasion, this man came to the Lord and it was only the two of them there. But there's other occasions in Scripture where we have the Lord Jesus Christ highlighting an individual out of the crowd. And the Lord here was making this man stand out as an individual with the very language that he chose to use. Marvel not that I said unto thee. You know, it's so easy to play fast and loose with the gospel and we're so quick at doing that. We'll take a word that's been used and been preached and all the rest of it and we'll say, isn't that great? That'd be a great word for them. What we need to do every time we come to the word of God, and it's hard to do this as a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, it's harder to do this, but it's something I endeavor to do every time I come to the word, and that is whenever the Lord gives me a word to apply it personally, first of all. In fact, that's what I said to you this morning. Anytime the finger points, I must remember there's three pointing back. Marvel not that I said, is the Lord speaking to you, to your heart? to your soul this evening just you nobody else around you very often we hear testimony of how the night I was saved goes along something like this the night I was saved it was like as if I was the only one in the room maybe you're sitting at home and maybe you are the only one in the room and you know the Lord's speaking to you would you not come someone here in the gathering and you know in your heart of hearts, and you try to shake it off, you've tried to do that before, you try to shake it off because you know in your heart of hearts, you acknowledge that the Lord is speaking to your soul. Would you not simply come? Look at the text again. Here we have a simple, simple message. You know, we're good sometimes, ministers. Oh, we're so clever, and we're so clever. 
People can't understand what's been said. You look at what the Lord Jesus Christ said to this man. Now, he had questions. He had difficulty. But you break down this message. What does it say in verse 7? Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That simply means ye must be born from above. You see, I believe this man got it. This man got it. Yes, he had questions. He needed answers to those questions. Yes, he had queries. He needed those queries sorted out. Yes, he had things that he couldn't initially at least get his head around fully. And none of us can. We don't have all the answers. Even after decades of Christian walk, we don't have all the answers. Never mind a few seconds as this man was. And let me say this, this evening, I'm preaching to a congregation of people, I have no doubt of it, who know something of the gospel. Maybe you know the gospel inside out. Maybe if I dropped dead right now, you would be able to. I would like to think you'd close the meeting down and get paramedics and stuff, but maybe you'd be able to finish the meeting. This man, he knew this simple message that you must be born again. And so do you. So do you this evening. You see, I know from the evidence that we have in Scripture we only read of Nicodemus three times in the Word of God, and each and every occasion is in John's Gospel. The Gospels are really broken up like this. You have the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are known as the Synoptic Gospels. Because within those three Gospels, you more or less have the same thing recorded in a very similar way, from different aspects, different view, but the same things recorded in a similar way. John's Gospel stands alone. And it's only in John's gospel, this non-synoptic gospel, the word synoptic, it just comes from two words. It's a compound Greek word. Syn, S-Y-N, it means together, like synagogue, together, or synergy, together. And optic, it means to see, to see together. John's gospel is not one of the synoptics. And it's only in John's gospel that we find this man Nicodemus referred to. Here in John chapter 3, as well as John chapter 7, verse 50, and in John chapter 19, verse 39. And on each of those occasions, we see this man and evidence of this man, the fact that he came to the Lord Jesus Christ that night. The fact that he's saved. In John chapter 7, we find the, the, how Nicodemus defended the Lord Jesus Christ amongst his peers and then further the next time the last occasion was John chapter 19 after the Lord Jesus Christ had given up the ghost he another along with another man came Joseph of Arimathea and took his body from the cross and dressed him for burial evidence that this man was changed evidence that there was a work done within him evidence that that night i believe in john chapter 3 and again i cannot be dogmatic where scripture is not but i believe that's the night when the light of the gospel and the light of truth shone in his soul let me ask you tonight could this be the night when the lord speaks to you we talked this morning of how the lord jesus christ commanded nature and beasts and and the wind and the waves and the bellows and how they immediately obey him. But each one of us have a decision to make. Would you not let him in? Or will you say, as you've been saying all these years, maybe even decades, no, I want nothing to do with this man. If we can be of any help whatsoever in the gospel tonight, 
our prayer is that you would simply come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here for that reason. We're not here, we've said it earlier, to tickle ears, but rather we're here, your servants, for Christ's sake. Speak to Mr. McLaughlin or some of the team, the elders, the men, a Christian friend. Seek myself out. I would gladly take time and point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of my faith.